Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the MBIT Podcast, and I'm your host, Seamus Medan. I started this podcast at 15 years old in December of 2020 to bring personal finance education to the next generation. Now, I am 16 years old, and the podcast has evolved to interviewing entrepreneurs, VCs, GPs, and founders of public companies, all of which are designed to delve into insights that have not been shared elsewhere for the next generation of those interested in business. Recently, I ventured into the VC space as a venture fellow at Blitzscaling Ventures, which is backed by the co-founder of LinkedIn, and I am interviewing those farther along in their journey to learn more on everything that I and the audience is curious about. If any of the above sounds interesting to you, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. And now, back to the show. So today, Laura Hodson joins the podcast. Laura is the CEO and co-founder of Now, the fintech startup enabling small businesses to grow through its invoice payment solution that redefines how and when businesses get paid. Laura started a small business with Stacey Abrams, but had to shut it down after they got massive orders once they fulfilled it because the company didn't pay the invoice on time. So Laura and Stacey ran out of cash and had to close. They co-founded now to help small business owners avoid that problem and keep the lights on, especially when economic times get tough like they are right now. 47% of U.S. small businesses say trying to get paid back by Large companies is taking longer than ever before, where the average wait time has gone from 48 days to 70 days. So first off, thank you, Laura, for taking the time to join the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. So let's go all the way back to the beginning, what you studied over at Harvard Business School and some of the things you learned over there. Yeah. So in undergrad, I went to Georgia Tech and I studied aerospace engineering, which is good for all the rocket science jokes. And then when I went to business school, I was really very curious to understand more about the financial aspects of business and the people aspects of business. Because I think all too often people look at hey, I have a great idea and I think I could sell it, but they don't really think about the financial implications and they don't think about the complexities of the people that are involved. People like to say it's not personal, it's just business and that's just wrong because it's all about people. I totally agree. I think people is always at the center of business, but what are some of the things that you've co-founded a couple of different companies studying as an aerospace engineer? How has that background helped you building your businesses? Oh, absolutely. You know, people ask me all the time, why did I study aerospace engineering if I was going to become an entrepreneur and run a finance company as opposed to building a space shuttle? And if I had it to do all over again, I would study aerospace engineering all over again. Because what you learn in engineering is you learn two things. You learn problem solving and you learn grit. And the problem solving side is the ability to be faced with a problem that no one has ever solved before and not be intimidated by that, to be energized by it. And then I think the grit side is just realizing that you can work your way through anything. I still remember my advanced rotor theory final, which was a graduate level course that I had no business taking. And the exam was one question. And when I looked at it, I didn't have a clue what to do with that question. But what you learn as an engineer is take a deep breath, 
What do I know? What am I trying to solve? And you just work through it bit by bit. And that approach is so invaluable in business because my team often jokes that when we're faced with something that is really good or really bad, I don't freak out. I don't panic. I just take a deep breath. What do we know? How we're going to work through it. And I think you really have to have that ability in business because there's so many things outside of your control. That's what makes it so fun. Yeah, I totally agree. I We've seen even in the startup ecosystem, especially recently, a lot of engineers turned founders. Like for example, I learned about this company, a few engineers are building this medical technology application to be used in hospitals. And after they built it, they decide, hey, this could be a real business. And then they turned into becoming founders. So we real recently, we're starting to see a lot of engineers turn into founders. That, that skill set can actually be really useful and something that a lot of people just don't notice yet. Yeah. And I really do think that engineers make really good founders because, again, they they thrive on solving problems. They tend to be very less emotional, I guess, about solving the problem. And it's more about focusing on the goal than necessarily how you get there. And, and, and they tend to have their ego in the problem and the solution, not in their way of doing something. So I am hopeful not only for the economy, but also for our society that more engineers are inspired to start businesses. Definitely. And uh, transitioning here, many years after you went to Harvard Business School, you started one of your first businesses. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about what that business was and that experience was like? Yeah. So a lot of people, when they're children, they dream of being a CEO and starting a business. And that wasn't really me. I did not grow up thinking I was going to be the boss or having to run my own company, largely because neither of my parents did that. And so I started my career really helping other people grow their businesses. And I was really good at that. So I started out initially and I worked with a real estate development company. I helped with an IT services company, one of the very first web companies that started. And the reason I became an entrepreneur was that I became a mother. And when I had my son, I just realized that I wanted the flexibility to be a great mom And in order to do that, I wanted to run my own business because it would give me flexibility. So I'm kind of a reluctant entrepreneur. But my first company was called Insomnia, and I started it with Stacey Abrams. We were really doing large, world-changing projects. So working on a, a zinc mine with a native Alaskan company and working on a water reservoir. And both of us just like to think big. And then when I had my son... We started a company called Nourish, which was a spill-proof bottled water for children that would allow children access to water instead of sugary drinks that was in a bottle that small hands could hold without having to screw tops on and off. So it was a way to get toddlers access to clean water without sugar, and it was a way to make baby bottles on the go for all the parents that were you know, working and on the go all the time. For sure. And fast forwarding, that can bring us now to now account. What were some of the problems that you had developing that business, especially from the invoice side that you're now solving with your more recent venture? 
Oh my gosh. I mean, when I think of the things I didn't know when I started those first businesses, having gone to business school, I thought I knew how it worked. I thought that, you know, people ordered your product and we did sell our bottled waters on the internet, but we also sold through channels, through retailers. And so what we found is that retailers would place an order for 10 cases or 20 cases. We would ship the product and I thought you got paid. I thought that's how commerce worked. You ship a product, they pay you. But what I realized is when we were selling to small businesses, small retailers, most of them paid us when we shipped the product. They would give us a credit card as a, as a payment mechanism. But about a year into the business, we got our first big order from a national retailer. And I had visions of being in the cover of Fortune. But what we realized is we were shipping a truckload, not cases, a truckload, which has a lot of zeros on the end of it. But when we shipped that truckload, they didn't give us a credit card for payment. Instead, they wanted an invoice. And on that invoice, they wanted what was called net 30 terms, which means I'm going to ship you the product and you're supposed to pay me in 30 days. But it turns out that's just a suggestion. It really is they're going to pay me when they feel like it. So I shipped the product and 30 days came and went and I didn't get paid. And another 60 days came and went and I still didn't get paid. Meanwhile, I owed all of my vendors and I needed to pay my employees. And I quickly realized that the largest lender in the United States is not a bank. It's small businesses because every time we ship our product or deliver a service and we wait 30 plus days to get paid, we are the free bank. And that's what kept us from growing. I think that more businesses grow out of business than go out of business. And that's an unfortunate reality. Gotcha. And on the small business side, it makes a lot of sense why they would want to use something like this. But for people or for businesses making large purchases and sending invoices, why would they use now account over trying to just send an invoice and wait to pay? Yeah. So now account really is a game changer for any small or mid-sized fast growing company. Because every time you deliver your good or service, if you could get paid immediately, you can use your own revenue to grow your company. So you don't have to turn to expensive and risky loans or factoring or all these other financing things. The reason it's also good for your customer is they typically get an invoice They then have to manage when they're going to pay that. And the fact that you have a now account doesn't change anything for them. They can procure the same way. They can manage their accounts payable the same way. They don't change anything about their business. So it doesn't restrict their ability to manage their own capital. So really both sides win. The seller of the good or service gets paid immediately and the buyer gets to keep the old free accounts payable that they've enjoyed for decades. Everybody gets what they want. Got it. And you mentioned before during the podcast that one of the other things that you've learned at Harvard Business School was managing risk. How are you doing that now with Now Account considering the upcoming recession? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because 
small businesses, I truly believe are the engine of our economy. And you can build a successful small business in a good economy and in a bad economy, but you have to act differently. And so what we're seeing when the economy was growing really quickly, people would use now account really to accelerate that growth and make it more sustainable so that they could use their own revenue to fuel exponential growth. What we're seeing now as the economy starts to slow is businesses realizing that small businesses, unfortunately, take a bigger burden in a down economy than large companies do for multiple reasons. Number one, access to capital goes away. Banks don't lend to small businesses in a a slower economy because of the risk. The capital that is out there gets even more expensive. Demand goes down. So small businesses don't have as much work and contracts and orders And the orders that are out there get more competitive. So it's harder to compete when you can't compete on price. So what we're seeing is if we can step in and allow these small businesses to get paid immediately and, again, use their own revenue, they can use a down economy as a way to gain market share, as a way to compete at a time when most people step away from them because of the risk. And the way we're able to manage the risk is, number one, we come from small business DNA. We are a small business. We, you know, Now Account was created by small business owners for small business owners. So we understand that risk, whereas large financial institutions, most bankers have never run a small business in their life. And so theoretically, they know risk, but they don't really know what drives a small business success. That makes a lot of sense. And speaking of the current economy, of the new jobs created between 1995 and 2020, small businesses accounted for 62% of them. And they also accounted for 43.5% of the United States GDP. And it really shows how important small businesses are to the economy. Now, with this upcoming recession, do you see this as a positive for now account as small businesses could be in more pressure to receive invoices quicker to stay default alive? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. And you make such a good point about the fact that small businesses are are, are truly the engine of the economy. I think we're seeing two things coming out of the pandemic. We've all heard about the great resignation, right? All of these people are leaving kind of their corporate America jobs. And many of them are starting small businesses, which should be a good thing, right? It should be a good thing that more small businesses are being started than ever in history. But at the same time, we're having an entrepreneurial crisis in this company because the vast majority of people that are starting companies are starting jobs, not companies, meaning they may never scale to hire another person. It's more of a freelance economy. And so I think that now account is more critical than ever before to give these new businesses the tools to allow them to scale and create more jobs for the economy. Because if they don't, if the great resignation means that businesses never scale to create more jobs, then I think it could actually become a drain on the economy. And as we look at this downturn, it could be exacerbated. Whereas if we help these new businesses scale and create jobs, that could be what makes the downturn less 
less difficult. For sure. And before we wrap it up here, one of the things that I've noticed over at the podcast is that storytelling is super valuable in business, especially for businesses. It's great for marketing. Airbnb does this. Apple does this. But what is one of the stories that a small business has using Now Account that has really been impactful for them? Yeah. So I love telling our clients stories. And there's one that comes to mind, a woman-owned business, minority-owned business, a woman who had taken over her father. And, and what she did is she delivered fuel to construction sites. So it never occurred to me that people do that. But if you think about it, you never pull into a gasoline station and see like a tractor next to you. So someone is delivering that fuel. And when she first heard about Now Account, she thought, well, my business has such small margins and, and every week I deliver fuel and I get paid. So I don't know that I could afford the 3% fee that we charge. But she said, it's so creative. I want to try something. And so she started going into these competitive bid situations where typically she would be outbid by larger competitors who could charge less and she couldn't win the price war. But she started saying, here's my normal pricing, or I'll give you option B, which is I'll offer you net 30 or net 60 or even net 90 terms, but there's a surcharge for that, which secretly was our fee. She was just passing it through. And she called me a few weeks later and she said, oh my gosh, I've won every bid this week because none of my competitors can offer net 30 or net 60 or net 90. And what I love about that story is entrepreneurs are the most creative people I've ever met. They're scrappy and they're creative. And she took something I had designed, Stacy and I had designed to help ourselves. And she came up with a unique way to use it for her business to change the game in her entire industry. And so she went from doing a couple million in revenue to almost 30 million in revenue in less than two years, like exponentially grew the company. But even more than that, she changed the game. And that's what entrepreneurship is all about. Yeah, that's a really fascinating story. And as we wrap it up here, what are some of your takeaways for small business owners during a time of economic tension and then where they can find more info on Now Account? Well, I would say that during a time of economic struggles, there's never a better time than to start a business. And I know that sounds odd, but your greatest ideas happen when you lack resources. Because if you have unlimited resources, you don't have to be creative. That's easy. So I think it's during a down market when our creativity really comes out, right? Like never let a good crisis go to waste. It's also quieter. When there's a crazy good economy, it's really noisy and it's hard to get heard. It's hard to market. It's hard to differentiate yourself. So take advantage of a, of a struggling time. There's always an opportunity in every struggle. Find the opportunity, take that chance. And it might just be that during a downturn, you have a better chance of setting yourself up for success. For sure, when the market turns and becomes positive, You'll be able to take advantage of it because if you can be successful in a down market, an up market becomes a tailwind, right? That's good for an aerospace engineering analogy. Totally agree. And especially founders building companies during bad economic conditions. There's many companies that are now worth billions and are public, if not trillions. For example, Microsoft was in the 1975, which 
is when the U.S. entered yeah. the 16th month recession. Apple, Netflix, MailChimp, Airbnb, Warby Parker, all of these are recognizable brands and companies that were all formed during a recession. All right, everyone, that wraps it up for today's episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to drop a five-star review down below. And thank you, Laura, for taking the time to hop on the podcast today. It was a pleasure.